Welcome to the Online Course Masters Show, where we learn from the best online course creators how to better create and sell our very own courses. If you're new to online teaching, trying to break into a very competitive niche, this is the episode for you. I chat with Chris Dutton of ExcelMaven.com, who broke in even when there were some best-selling Microsoft Excel courses out there, and he lays out a great framework for how anyone can do the same. That and his story is coming right up. Visit OnlineCourseMasters.com for show notes to watch the video version of this episode and see an archive of all our past guests. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please, if you haven't done so already, leave a review for this show wherever you listen to it. Now, let's get straight to the interview. Hey everyone, Phil here with Chris Dutton. So excited to be here with someone who teaches on a very popular topic and started relatively recently in the world of online courses. So I'm excited to dive in. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, Phil. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So first, I'm going to ask you, what do you love about teaching online courses? Oh, man. Um, for one, I think the exposure itself is pretty powerful. Um, if you told me a year or two ago that I would have courses in front of millions of students across 135 countries, I would think you're crazy. Um, but that's, that's number one, just the coolest thing, getting your content out there to the world. And then uh, second, you know, the passive income stream is, is a really powerful thing. Um, just being able to produce content and sell courses when you're asleep or on vacation uh, is a really powerful thing. And uh, that's been a huge draw as well. Awesome. Well, my next question is a really important one because I just noticed this on your Skillshare profile before this, <laughs> this uh, interview. I saw that you have... You've had work featured by the Society of American Baseball Research, which is Sabre, oh, yeah. and Sabre metrics are huge. <laughs> I'm a huge baseball fan. What is yeah. that all about? <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed you're a big baseball fan, so I was hoping we could uh, talk baseball a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let me jump back to, to my college years. I went to school at, at Tufts University outside of Boston, lived near the city my whole life. And uh, I studied quantitative economics and multimedia art. So two very different ends of the spectrum. Uh, but I really loved it. It was kind of a nice blend of that left brain, right brain kind of thinking. And one experience during my college years that really made me fall in love with data and analytics. I know that sounds kind of nerdy, but uh, it was starting a group called uh, Baseball Analysis at Tufts or BAT very creative. And uh, what we would do is essentially collect really interesting data sets. Um, anyone who knows baseball knows that it's a stat lover's dream. It's just this treasure trove of, of data. And we would pose interesting questions and we would build models and try to find interesting patterns in the data. And uh, we actually had quite a bit of success with some projects that we worked on um, some of which were featured by Sabre, um, others were featured in the New York Times, which is really cool. And uh, the one that I will remember most was a project that we did to try to quantify the role of luck in baseball. Hmm. So built a model to try to basically predict how a hitter should be performing given his component performance metrics. And then we measured the difference between the model output and his actual performance. 
and kind of called that luck. Uh-huh. And it actually became uh, a really predictive factor in whether they would improve or regress the next year. So um, that was that was one of the more uh, exciting ones that we worked on. <laughs> well, I love it. I don't know if anyone listening is going to appreciate this as much <laughs> as I do, but but I love it. And I'll tell you that my wife, we've been together for eight years. We've been to get married for two years now, and she didn't wasn't a baseball fan before we were together, but she has gotten to the point where she we're trying to come up with new stats when we're watching baseball games that we can we can talk to the people at Saber and try to try to promote. So <laughs> that's just that's just awesome. I love it. Thanks, man. I'm gonna send you um, some of the articles that outline that that project. Cool, awesome. I would love to read those. So okay, so you obviously are a fan of just data and coming up with these interesting formulas. And so you teach Microsoft Excel. So it kind of makes sense that that's a tool that you, you use. How did you get started? Oh, talk about your background and what, what did you do after graduating and uh, how you got to teaching online classes today? Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to work in analytics. I also knew that I didn't want, uh, I don't want to say a boring job, but I didn't want to work in finance or accounting. No offense to anyone who does work in those fields. Um, but I, I wanted to maintain some of that creative freedom, that right brain style of thinking. So I ended up at kind of the perfect role for me right out of school, which was working for, uh, a strategy and analytics group for an ad agency mm-hmm. in Boston. So I was essentially working with large global companies, helping them manage their data and optimize their marketing campaigns. So it was a, it was a really good blend of the quantitative and qualitative style of thinking. And from day one in that role, um, I thought I knew Excel. I thought I was an Excel expert, which is something that you see with a lot of people um, who give themselves the the expert label, and really it comes down to the whole you don't know what you don't know thing. So I came into this role thinking I was this Excel authority, uh, this expert. I knew it all, and right away I inherited these reports and spreadsheets and dashboards that I would have to essentially reverse engineer to understand exactly how they were built and how to maintain and improve them. And that was the first time where my eyes just opened up and I was like, oh, my God, you can you can do this with Excel. Like, this is incredible. My mind started racing with all the other potential possibilities of what you could do with it. And it just blew my mind that such a common and ubiquitous program like Excel could be doing so much more than people give it credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, uh, within months, I kind of became the Excel guy at the office. I'd have people coming by the desk three, four or five times a week uh, with questions when they were stumped on Excel problems. And to some people that might be annoying. To me, I loved it. Like I, I savored that opportunity because uh, A, I just love puzzles and, and, and riddles and Excel is really no different. It's, it's about creatively putting different pieces together to, uh, to build things in Excel. And B, that's what forced me to keep keep learning and keep pushing the envelope and getting smarter um, because I would either have an answer quickly and feel good about myself or I would be stumped and then spend 
an hour or two hours or my entire weekend trying to solve it because I'm a very stubborn person. So <laughs> that really forced my, my learning progression big time. Um, and then from there, it kind of just naturally progressed into teaching the Excel courses for the incoming analyst classes at the agency. And that's when I discovered uh, another passion of mine, which I hadn't actually realized until that point, uh, which is teaching this stuff. And it's just seeing that like childlike giddiness when people get complicated function to uh, give them the right answer, you know, or they realize like, oh my God, this formula is going to save me four hours a week. Um, that was so rewarding as a teacher um, that I just fell in love with it. And I realized I've got to find ways to keep teaching in the future. Mm, cool. Yeah. Well, I love Excel. I mean, this is, pro I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I still do all my like income and expenses just with Microsoft Excel. Dude, <laughs> me too. Yeah. So it's just easier for me. And it's easy because I'm like a one man business right now and I could and I don't have that many expenses and I all my most of my income is from online sources that come once a month so it's pretty easy but it's just easy for me to use Excel but I'm just like when I learned that you could have like different tabs and then you could like copy like and a solution from one tab to another that was that just blew my <laughs> mind so i'm an excel noob which is great but um so that so you, that's cool that you found that passion for teaching and i think a lot of people don't know that they could or even are passionate about teaching what um transitioned you to teaching online classes you before we started recording you talked about you were creating your first course for for lynda.com but also udemy yeah so in 2014, after six years at the ad agency, um, I split off to start my own consulting business. And at first, that business was all about um, you know, traditional project-based consulting, but also in-person, hands-on workshops. You know, I was taking what I was familiar with, which was teaching the analyst courses at the agency, and just assuming that like that was going to be my growth opportunity to book more workshops. Mm -hmm. And after about a year, um, I, I discovered this whole world of e-learning and, and Udemy and these platforms. And at that point in 2015, I realized that there's a massive opportunity there and that it could be a pretty substantial and important component of my business. Nice. So, my question, though, is at that time, there were already some very well-performing Microsoft Excel courses on, on Udemy specifically. Mm -hmm. what, why did you tell yourself, oh, I could do this? What made you think that you could teach a better <laughs> course that would be successful? That's a really good question. Um, at first and foremost, uh, I think one thing that's important is that it, it wasn't do or die for me. Um, it was never about making a living or having to hit a certain threshold of income from Udemy in order to be successful. Um, in the worst case scenario, if no one bought a single course from me on Udemy, I would still have, you know, these very comprehensive courses on there that I'm proud of that I could leverage, um, to supplement my in-person workshops and my consulting contracts. So it was still important to me regardless of how it performed financially. So that that's important to note right off the bat. 
Um, but you bring up a good point, which is that before I published that first course on Udemy, I remember searching for Excel and honestly, I couldn't even find the last page of search results <laughs> because there were so many, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of courses. So when you frame it that way, it does feel very much like bringing a knife to a gunfight. But what I knew was that I had a really good knife and that I was a very stubborn person. So I was going to just give it a shot and focus relentlessly on quality mm. and find ways to set my course apart mm. um, and then kind of cross my fingers and hope for the best. Um, so basically the, the goal to try to crack into that niche was uh, it was a few things. First, it was producing unique content. Uh, I think that's been really successful for my courses. I will build custom data sets for my courses that students don't find anywhere else. Uh, I'll make tons and tons of resource files available for download, um, do quizzes, homework exercises, add new lectures to keep things fresh. So that was kind of priority one was just quality, 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 like no shortcuts whatsoever. Um, number two is student engagement. And that's something that uh, I'm really, really proud of as an instructor on Udemy is um, the level of attention that I pay to my students. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that if I take care of my students, things will fall into place. So, you know, things like replying with um, thoughtful responses to every single question that comes my way. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that becomes hard as things begin to scale. Luckily, I'm still at the point where uh, I'm getting maybe one or two questions a day. Um, I'm able to answer them pretty consistently. Um, another thing that I've been doing is replying to reviews very consistently for better or for worse. Um, you know, take feedback seriously. Use that feedback to actually improve instead of just getting frustrated by it. And when people leave a rating that you don't necessarily think is fair, what I'll do personally is I'll leave them a note and say, hey, would you mind sharing some specific feedback about your experience? Keep in mind, you can reach out to me through the course discussion board or message me directly if there's anything that I can help with to improve your course experience. And that's just my answer um, consistently every day if I see reviews. For me, it's anything under four stars, I'll send that review. And then if it's below that, I'll follow up with a personal message just to try to get some specific feedback. So that's that's been helpful for me. Hey, Phil here. Are you enjoying this episode? I really hope you are. And I hope you're learning to become a better online course creator. If you want to fast track your success, head over to onlinecoursemasters.com and get your free trial of the full flagship program, the masterclass for online course creators. Get more information at onlinecoursemasters.com. Yeah, I, well, I love all those our practical ideas that people can do. And I think people might know that those are options for not only just replying to the review, but taking the next step and actually messaging that individual. And because I think a lot of people probably don't even see the replies that we send on our reviews but right. it's just actually taking action and doing it. Uh, so I love that. Still, though, I'm like, there's the, all these really great Excel courses. One decision that I see you made was instead of making just a general beginner Excel class, you picked a more 
niche topic. And that seems to be doing really well for you. Had you thought about doing just a general Excel course or are you thinking about doing that as well? No, I, I don't know if it's, if it's feasible just because Excel is such a, a broad topic that um, even though my courses are specific in the sense that they cover formulas and functions, charts and graphs, and pivot tables specifically, mm-hmm. each of those in itself could be you know, 100 hours of content. You know, mine are, are they're niche, but they are pretty comprehensive, mm-hmm. uh, about six hours of content each. Um, so for me, it was less a strategic decision about succeeding on the platform and more about it just making sense to me to bucket the content in those ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a good, it's a great example of taking a topic where some people might think, oh, well, I should just make a big general Excel course, which a lot of people have, but then they don't dive deep into these specific topics. Do you know, before you created these individual courses, were there other courses that were specifically on these like topics, like advanced formulas, data Mm -hmm. visualization, that kind of thing? Yeah, there definitely were. Um, But again, I I did a little bit of the competitive research, but um, that wasn't going to stop me from trying to produce a better course and offer more value than than anyone else. Awesome. So when you started, at least on Udemy, you put your course up. Did you just wait to see if there were any sales? Did you have any audience of your own that you promoted to? What what were you doing at the very beginning to try to make any sales or to grow your own audience? Yeah, so no audience whatsoever. Um, No email list, no sales funnel, nothing. Um, I did have a handful of YouTube subscribers from, um, I had experimented with a YouTube video series before discovering uh, Udemy, which looking back, like, (laughs) they're so bad. Uh, I was using the the built-in laptop on my, or the built-in mic on my laptop, sitting in the middle of my kitchen with hardwood floors and hardwood walls. It's just like, Terrible. So I maybe had 12 or 13 subscribers on YouTube, maybe nine if you don't count friends and family. Yeah. Um, so I'd call that no audience at all. Yeah. Um, so definitely an uphill battle at first. Um, but even for instructors who are in my shoes, who are coming in kind of with a blank slate, there are a lot of levers that you can pull to be successful right off the bat. Um, number one, I'd recommend uh, checking out Scott Duffy's SEO courses. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Like It's as simple as just optimizing your title and, and subtitle and your landing page, which can have a huge impact on rankings. And at the end of the day, rankings mean everything on this platform. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, being an analytics guy, um, I tracked my positioning before and after kind of taking certain steps that Scott recommended. And within like a week, I had started on page 14 for the keyword Excel, which is essentially obsolete. And a week later, I was up at page six and seven. So I was able to leapfrog seven pages of search results with simple tweaks like being strategic about keywords and knowing what keywords to target. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was some, some low-hanging fruit that was really valuable to me. Um, I 
gave out a decent amount of free coupons, but I gave them to targeted audiences. And you can find relevant groups and audiences, places like Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups. Um, a lot of people in the past have, you know, put out hundreds of free coupons on like the Udemy instructor page. I don't even know if they're doing that anymore, but um, I don't know. I, I I think everyone used to do that. There might still be a document that's somewhere hidden, but I feel like they realized that those coupons were just getting gobbled up by free coupon sites somehow. <laughs> exactly. So just, I think the free coupon approach is really smart because you need social proof and you need reviews as early as possible, but just be strategic about it and find people who are, are most relevant uh, to target with those coupons. Yeah. Question about that really quick. So yeah. that's something that I tell people to do and to find relevant groups or blogs or, or anything like that. What was your process for actually just posting to that group? Were you just finding Excel groups and saying, Hey, here's a free course. Um, or were you, they always say, Oh, you should be engaged with this group beforehand. Were you doing that? Were you doing any individualized messaging? What, what kinds of things were you doing? It was really just finding the most relevant groups that I could, um, for the free coupon stuff. It was primarily with LinkedIn groups. Mm. Um, and then really just posting a little bit about the course and then offering the, uh, free coupon at the end. So it wasn't, it wasn't super spammy, like click here, click here, free course. It was, Hey guys, I've produced this course. I'm looking for feedback. It covers X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Here's a free link. I'd love for you to try it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you were, yeah, that was all great ideas for getting, you know, someone who's just starting out, getting a little bit of traction with your first course. And that's, I think, where most people struggle with. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention? Um, yeah, I took some videos uh, from the course, put them on YouTube with links back. That's kind of a, a standard one. Um, I did a little bit of experimenting with driving some paid promotion to those videos through YouTube search, um, which was kind of lukewarm. Uh, tested some other paid media tactics like uh, Facebook posts, ran a little bit of paid search, did some LinkedIn advertising. But uh, as most people who are familiar with this process will tell you, it's very hard to generate a positive ROI when you're essentially cold selling people directly to your course. Um, so without a proper funnel, I think most people run into that same issue where they just can't make paid media profitable in that way. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I wrote some authority articles on LinkedIn uh, just to get some some content marketing out there, some uh, links back through that channel. And really, that was that was about it other than organic word of mouth. Cool. Awesome. So at the same time, you, were, you mentioned that you were creating a course or was it the same course for lynda.com? And that's something that I haven't talked about with anyone on this podcast. What was the process for getting a course on that site? Yeah, so Lynda and Udemy are very different beasts. And Lynda was the first target that I had um, as an instructor just because it was the one that I was familiar with, um, whereas Udemy kind of felt like the Wild West to me. And the process for becoming an instructor is very different. Um, on Udemy, it's as simple as 
typing in your email address and boom, you're an instructor. Uh, for Linda, they kind of recruit instructors, you apply, you interview, you have to prove your level of expertise to get added to their stable of authors. Um, so there's a, a different bar right off the bat. And then the biggest difference is that for you to me as an author, you own the content rights. So you own that course and you can publish it on Skillshare or on any of the other platforms out there. Uh, when you work with Linda, Linda owns your content. Mm. So by definition, I had to produce two different courses when I was you know, developing my first uh, round of content for those platforms, because if my course already existed on Udemy, uh, I legally couldn't publish it on Linda. Right. Uh, so it's, it's really different. And that's why on Udemy, you'll see 150 different courses covering Angular or JavaScript or Excel or whatever it might be. On Linda, there's one, one course per topic. Mm -hmm. And because it's it's a different ecosystem, they don't want instructors competing against each other. They want to find the right instructor for that topic and have him own it or yeah. her. So for me, there there already was an Excel instructor on Linda who taught formulas and functions and data viz and pivot tables and all the courses that you know I would have been qualified to teach. So my strategy has kind of been teach those broader courses on Udemy and then teach more specific kind of shorter project-based courses for Linda. Got it. And what's the revenue share like on Linda? Oh, because they do own the content. Is it still, is it an upfront fee or are they paying you based off of how well the course sells? So Linda will give you a royalty advance for the course to start working on it. Um, and then basically the way the revenue share works, Udemy is a paper course model. Linda is a subscription model. Mm -hmm. So my revenue share as an instructor comes down to the, uh, the volume of traffic that my course is seeing compared to other courses in my category. Mm -hmm. And that's how it gets plugged into some black box formula and then a, a revenue number spits Got out it. in the month. At the end of the day, has it been worth creating those courses on Linda for your time? And do they continue to make you money? Yeah, it's it's funny because from day one, I thought Linda was going to be the uh, the primary platform, like the bread and butter, and that Udemy was this little side experiment that, like, who knows, might be decent, might not. Um, and it's it actually has become exactly opposite. And I think part of the reason is that I'm teaching more niche project focused courses on Linda, which don't have the same mass appeal mm -hmm. as the topics I'm teaching on, on Udemy. Um, whether or not it, it's worth it, I would say absolutely. You know, I, I love the diversification of having my content on multiple platforms. Um, you know, it, you never know what's going to happen next next week Udemy might change the pricing model again or they might totally scramble their search results and then your revenue falls by 80% it's totally out of your hands so diversification is important and uh, one thing that I've really enjoyed about working with Linda is that when you choose to produce a course with them 
they build a team around you and they give you a, a producer and a content director mm. and they work with you from day one to build out your course. And then they fly you out to the studios in California, they put you in a recording booth uh, with a fancy headset. And, you know, you've got that pane of glass with your producer on the other side. Um, and they give you hotel and per diem. And it's, you feel like a rock star when you go out there and teach with them. Um, because they really, really do take care of their instructors. And I, there's no doubt in my mind that the people who are in the door early enough to teach one of those super high demand, uh, broad topics, like I'm sure they're killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to continue, you know, building my library there as well. I've got four courses on there now. Um, you know, talking to them about producing a fifth. Cool. Well, yeah, that's really just interesting to know how their strategy works and, and it's good to know that you're, it's worth it at the end of the day. And you never know who, who someone might take your course on Linda, become interested in you, search for your name, end up buying your course on Udemy, or if you have other products or surface, services down the road, might hire you for something. Uh, so it's all, yeah, just getting your name out there is, is good. So exactly. going back to the, the basics, uh, everyone always asks, what's, what equipment should I use? So I always ask people, what, what equipment did you start out with and has it changed and what are you using today to record? Yeah, I keep it pretty simple because my courses are all um, screencast style, so I don't need video cameras and stuff. I use Camtasia for the screencast recording and the, the post-prod editing. Uh, I got a blue snowball mic. Uh, that was my only like reasonably large purchase, but that was that. <laughs> That was helpful to get. Um, got a little pop filter for that and a small isolation cube. That's like mm-hmm. a one foot by one foot foam cube that I found off Amazon for like 10 bucks. And uh, that's really it for gear. I use Excel, obviously, for, for the course content and PowerPoint for slide walkthroughs. And then I also do all my own graphics and stuff. So I'll use Photoshop and Illustrator for, uh, for the design work. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, talk about a small upfront business cost. That you know, blue snowball you can get for fifty bucks, and Camtasia is what a couple hundred bucks or three hundred bucks now. They're they're doing that fifty percent off discount if you're in the the Udemy group. Mm. I think fifty or sixty bucks. Nice. Well, yeah, that's crazy. So that's awesome. Something I actually don't ask enough people is, what do you have any other expenses or tools that you're paying for to help with? teaching online or we'll talk about your website in a minute but mm-hmm. i just feel like personally i don't spend that much money uh with my online business but i'm curious if you have any other expenses yeah same story the biggest expense is just time yeah uh, it's at some point if i if i go full time or if i try to scale this up quite a bit more i, I would love to have a proper studio space um when I when I was teaching my first course, I was literally teaching it under a blanket that was draped over a lamp next to me in the middle of summer in my apartment in Boston, just like dripping sweat in this dark little cave in the corner of my apartment. Um, so I could probably treat myself to an upgrade uh, from that standpoint. But other than that, no, it's like it's a pretty low overhead business at the end of the day. 
That's that's really awesome, though. So you have a great website, xlmaven.com, and I'll include links to that in the show notes. Uh, I love the simplicity of it, and I think for instructors who are looking for just inspiration on a type of website that is simple but seems like it would work well, I, I would definitely check it out. And it's just uh, kind of like a one-page website, uh, mm-hmm. really nice graphics. Uh, what w- Did you make that as soon as you started teaching online, or did, you, did it take a while to get this up and running? Well, first of all, I didn't make it. I wish I could take credit for it. Um, that was, that was one area that I outsourced. Um, I've actually been working with this web designer. His name is, uh, Matt Bailey. He works out in San Diego. He's incredible. Um, he had produced a, a website for my brother's business that I had worked on. So, um, I knew he had the chops and I knew he had the style that I was looking for. So, um, that was rebuilt really only like three months ago. So you're seeing nice. the, the brand new facelift. Now, the old version of Excel Maven uh, was much, much lower quality. It was something that I scrapped together from GoDaddy, <laughs> and it was entirely focused on the in-person, hands-on workshops. Like That was what Excel Maven was. And over time, the past three years, really, that has evolved into this three-pronged approach where the product that I'm offering is... Excel expertise and the mm-hmm. services through which I offer that product include self-paced online courses, uh, in-person workshops, and project-based consulting. So those are like the three three prongs, if you will, mm-hmm. of what Excel Maven is today. And so what's important is that after I taught my or produced my third course, which went live um, six months ago, maybe something like that. I decided to shift gears uh, temporarily from production to promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, those three courses kind of felt like a really solid stack and it was doing pretty well organically, starting to build quite a bit of traction. Um, so I figured now's the time to shift gears a little bit. So I hired Matt uh, to rebuild the website. He also works in designing sales funnels full time. So he also became my my marketing guru and my uh, my sales funnel consultant as well. Um, so what we did, we tried to design the site in a way that really teases the content for those who might be ready to purchase the course right off the bat. Um, so similar approach to YouTube, I make a lot of the videos themselves uh, available for free on the site. You know, and people ask me, you know, are you worried about just giving away your stuff like that? And the short answer is is no, because if someone wants a video on how to learn a VLOOKUP function, they're going to find one of the 40 million VLOOKUP videos on YouTube. They don't need to come to me. Um, but where they get the real value is through the resource files that accompany mm-hmm. the and the mm-hmm. one support from me that they don't get by just watching the video on my site. Um, so the site design as a lead gen tool was important. Um, He's also got me building a relatively basic funnel. Um, and it's, it's funny because I've, I've been binge listening to your episodes over the past couple of weeks. And <laughs> nice. I, I love it, by the way. And cheers to the stuff you're doing. It's really awesome. Um, but there was one on um, 
on funnels and I forget who it was. Dragos, I think. Dragos, yep. Yeah, he, he was describing some of these crazy advanced, like complicated funnels. <laughs> and uh, I was like inspired, but also like a little bit terrified <laughs> and, yeah. and overwhelmed. Um, so my goal right now, I'm still like just wrapping up this process of building my funnel. I'm about ready to deploy it probably next month. But I wanted to keep something relatively simple, you know, that I understood and that I could scale and build from um, and evolve over time. So basically what I'm doing is I've got an ebook download, which is my like, primary lead magnet or my email opt-in just to start building an email list. Mm-hmm. And then I've got three pre-sell articles and each article is associated with one of my three courses and their list style kind of super hard hitting, like 10 tips to automate your workflow with formulas or five ways to visualize your data, things like that with little quick tip videos that go with each of them. Mm-hmm. And those pre-sell articles link out to, you know, exclusive discounts for the full course on Udemy. Mm-hmm. So I've got those three pre-sell pages. And then for each of the pre-sells, there's a cycle of five emails, um, that kind of hint at the tips covered in those pre-sells. So that's really it. Um, put retargeting pixels on it to try to hit audiences who are familiar with certain pieces of content on the site. Um, and then being an analyst, of course, I'm going to test and optimize as much as I can. But really, that's that's the whole system uh, for now. And we're going to see how it goes. Well, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into it, which I think is good. But you're also taking action and actually doing it. And hopefully it's, you know, up and running in the next month or so just to see how it works. But I think that's something where I've struggled with and people can learn from you is to to think about what the funnel is going to look like and to not just blog about random content or random things that you're interested in. That's one strategy, but if you're really focused on on selling your class at the end of the day, it's probably a good idea to really just think about the actual article and if, if make it tease content and uh, build that interest in a co- course potentially. So that's awesome. And so right now, though, you have your preview videos and it all links out to, to Udemy, which is awesome. I see that. And you're putting up a ton of YouTube videos. I see every couple of days, it seems like you're you're putting up a, a video or so, or at least batch putting up some. And so are those just from your class, you said? Yeah, don't get used to the, the constant updates. <laughs> um, that was, so I've recently been kind of revisiting the YouTube channel and uh, been updating descriptions, updating some of the discount codes that I'm, trafficking to you to me and then i i recently put out like 15 or 20 uh, of these little quick tip videos that i built specifically for those pre-sell articles so i wanted to get those out on you me as well so that's why you're seeing a bunch of them kind of being published right now awesome well no that's great so i know i'm assuming you're you're tracking all of this and you've had your website for a while are you seeing actual sales come from your website or YouTube videos to your Udemy courses at this time? Yeah, it's not really, it's not up and running quite yet. So we're still in building and copywriting mode right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Once we get everything solidified, um, 
then the next step is going to actually be starting to drive the traffic. Um, I get some organic traffic to the site, um, not a ton. Uh, so I've seen a handful of sales that have just organically come through the links on the web page, but mm-hmm. no one's in the email cycle yet and no one's yeah. seen resell pages yet. So that's something that uh, hoping to pull the trigger on um, by the end of this month. Yeah, cool. So with your classes on Udemy, what ways have you used promotional announcements to, or what have you seen work anyways in terms of promotional announcements for you when launching a new course? Or I don't know if you are promoting your courses every month or what What have you seen work? Yeah, I just recently kind of started in on a cycle that I really like uh, and that I'd recommend other people do just a couple months ago. Um, Basically, what I'll do is each month I'll basically send out a a three-part series of promo announcements. And I know I'm calling them promo announcements, but not all of them are promotional. I actually just prefer the format versus the educational announcements on Udemy. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is... Early in the month, I've got a calendar reminder every month, the 10th of the month, um, I will send a get started email, and it's targeted to people who joined in the past two to eight weeks or so and have not started the course yet, so you can target 0% completed. And really, that email is just like, hey, saw that you joined my course, Like, thanks so much for joining. Um, the hardest part is just getting started. Like, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you with this. Like, let's do this. Like, that's basically the messaging for the get started prompt. Um, Midway through the month, I send another one, which is the rating and review prompt. And the intention of that announcement is really just to remind students how important ratings and reviews are for instructors um, and include a little screenshot of exactly where to click on the stars um, to show them how easy it is. So that's just a, a easy, like it's a layup, you know, I've got yeah. a template. I send it to a new set of students. It's not the same people seeing the same announcements over and over. Um, mm-hmm. I've lagged a month each time. And then at the end of the month, I, uh, I do a cross sell promo that I call my triple threat email, which is, uh, really designed to promote my whole stack of courses to students who may only be in one or two of them. So that's my cycle and I try to stick with it every month. Got it. Oh, that's really cool. I actually haven't done that myself and heard of anyone really doing that with like such a schedule. Are you, is that, are you sending it to all your courses at one time or are you doing it individually for each course? Um, some of those I, um, I do individually so that I can tailor the messaging a little bit. Um, for others, I think like the get started prompt, it's for anyone who hasn't started at all. Got it. Okay, cool. Wow, that's really neat. I, I think I'll have to start using that tactic my, myself. And, so, you know, so, most of us just end up wasting our messages and not using them. But at the very least, sending a message once a month to new students from the past month or so to leave a review or something, that will help you uh, get some new reviews. So good, yeah. good tips. Uh, you mentioned that you're driving all your traffic to Udemy courses, which is something that I do from my website. Have you thought about putting your courses on your own website and trying to sell it through like a Teachable or a Thinkific? 
Yeah, I've, I've thought about it, and it's it's something that is on my radar. Um, I don't think that it's going to happen anytime soon for me. I've seen you know, really good success on Udemy for, for what I was expecting, and Udemy's got a great LMS. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the best systems I've seen, uh, better than any of the other platforms I've worked with. So the ability to interact and engage with students, which obviously is really important to me, um, and really easily update content, produce new courses. Um, it's just not quite worth it at this point to invest the time to build my own system, but who knows things change. So maybe a few years from now, I have my own platform. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a necessary thing at all. And when we're making basically a hundred percent of each sale that we send ourselves to Udemy, it's hard to beat that. Plus, you get all the benefit of increasing the ranking, getting reviews, and that stuff by driving traffic to our courses on Udemy. That's I, I get a lot of people kind of complaining about that method and saying, oh, well, you should be selling it on your own site. You could be making a lot more on your own site. But there's so many benefits to driving traffic to Udemy as well. Um, yeah. And the fact that Udemy does so much marketing in your behalf as well. They, yeah their retargeting efforts are are pretty solid. So you can't really discount the fact that Udemy is working for you at the same time. Yeah, totally. I see you have your classes on Skillshare as well. Have you had uh, any success with posting your classes on Skillshare? Uh, No, not really. It's it's small. I think I have two or 300 students, which isn't bad. But one thing that... um, the Skillshare experiment has taught me is that people respond very, very differently on different platforms. Mm-hmm. And there's no such thing as an e-learning audience. Uh, mm. The audience on Skillshare, it's a very different demographic, very different type of person looking for something very different than a Udemy audience or a Linda audience. So what might absolutely crush it on Udemy may not do so well on Skillshare. And what I've seen, I, I believe Skillshare is really targeted to people looking for bite-sized tips and tutorials. Um, you know, like illustration and art, artistic-related courses tend to do really well in there. Um, but I've been working with some of the people on the Skillshare side, and they're trying to promote more business and tech and programming types of courses. So, um, who knows? It's 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 been fine. I don't regret putting courses on there by any means, but uh, it's it's definitely very different from. Yeah, it. no, that's an honest. That's a totally honest, I guess, review of Skillshare. But I think there's no harm. At least I I don't think there's really much of a harm in putting your courses on Skillshare and seeing how it goes. You never know if they expand in the future to those. They get a big audience that is wanting to learn Excel. I'd rather be on there with my classes and kind of get that first, uh, that first person, you know, boost of being on, on the platform first. So you never know. We'll see. Exactly. And in my case, I haven't seen any cannibalization of my Udemy students Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, like I said, it's an incremental audience that you're reaching. So, you know, really what's the harm at the end of the day? Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, what what plans do you have for the next few years? I mean, you talk about you got your funnels, everything set up. Um, you got your website that's brand new. Are you 
you said you're kind of happy with the set of courses that you have right now. Are Do you have any other course ideas in mind or have you thought about expanding beyond Excel at all? Oh, man. Good, good question. So many answers. Uh, uh, I am definitely producing more courses. Uh, I've kicked off um, development for my fourth course, which is going to be on Power Pivot and Power Query, which are still Microsoft and Excel-based tools. They just kind of take it one step further uh, than what I've been teaching with my core three courses. Um, so that's that's kind of immediate goal is to get that fourth course out and get this this funnel locked in and and flowing traffic through it. Um, so longer term goals, there are kind of two things. One is I want to try to outsource more. I want to get a little bit smarter about how I'm managing my time. Um, outsourcing the the sales funnel and the site design and some of the copywriting has been really valuable for me so that I can focus on the stuff that I, I like doing. Mm-hmm. I hate writing sales copy and I hate acting like a salesman. So I've made that decision right off the bat. I'm not going to try to do that. Um, so that's been huge, but maybe outsourcing uh, some components of the, uh, the production process as well. And I know the, um, the Dina Eisenberg interview mm-hmm. was a really good one. Um, and I agree a hundred percent on just the importance of finding people who specialize in things that you may not be so good at, um, and bringing them on board. So outsourcing more. And then your, your point about broadening the scope is something that's been on my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. And my idea with Excel Maven was to kind of build this, this business model and this proof of concept and see how well it could scale on its own. And I've been really, really happy with where it's, it's gone in the past three years. And now what I would love to do is broaden that from Excel Maven to something like Maven Analytics and open it up to other programming languages, other data science tools. Um, and that, A, would help me reach a much broader audience. And all of these topics are still so hot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, give me a great chance to potentially partner with some other instructors, which is something that um, that I've been really interested in. So long-term goal try to pursue that type of growth and hopefully turn it into a a self-sustaining business. Cool. Well, sounds awesome. And I think for people listening, it's, you know, this is a perfect sort of step. And I think you've had a ton of success, but I think this interview will also be very inspirational for people who are just getting started out because you've laid out sort of a, I don't want to use the word framework, but a, a process that someone could ideally have. I mean, you've had a lot of success pretty quickly on a topic that looks like pretty competitive, but you've broken into it, So, which is awesome. So I, I think this is going to be really inspirational. Is there anything else that uh, we miss? Any advice you want to talk, tell new instructors who are stuck or who are just wanting to get started uh, that might help them out? Sure. Um, a lot of people answer that question by saying, just do it. And I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I do agree that lack of action, uh, is often what's holding people back, but I don't think that action for the sake of action is the right step. So instead of just diving in and getting started, what I would recommend is starting with an honest self-assessment 
So A, are you an expert? B, would other people agree that you're an expert in that thing? Um, you got to be honest with yourself. And this is one thing that some people might not agree with. Um, but I will never, ever teach a topic that I'm not 100% confident in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know instructors have had great success, um, you know, researching hot topics, going and reading a book or learning it just for the sake of teaching it. More power to them. That's not me. And I, I wouldn't recommend that. I think um, it sh- the quality shows when you know what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. so step one is, is make that honest self-assessment and then do some research. You got to research the opportunity. Look at supply and demand. Um, do people want this course? What does the competitive landscape look like? What's the longevity of that topic? Um, there has to be some component of research that goes into it, too. And then if you've gone through both of those steps and you've arrived at the conclusion that, yes, I'm an expert. There's a great opportunity. I'm going to teach this course. The next thing I'd recommend is setting realistic expectations for yourself. Um, I'm sure, Phil, you see on the, uh, the Udemy groups on Facebook all the time, you've got people who are just frustrated and devastated that they're not making six figures with their course yet because they've seen you know the top 1% of instructors post their revenue reports and they assume that's the norm. So when they rush their course out in a month and it doesn't sell – 10,000 copies in the first week, they get all frustrated by it. So set expectations. And then if your course does take off and do really well, that's just, you know, icing on the cake at that point. And then I guess the last thing that I'd recommend, um, because it is a pretty overwhelming process to, to teach a full course is to think about the mile, not the marathon, mm. break it into meaningful, um, manageable pieces instead of trying to think about this one monster of a project that you're trying to get through. Um, I know that approach has been really, really important to me, just breaking it down into short-term objectives and small goals and just chipping away from there. Love it. I love it. And you've broken down that those tips into the perfect explanation. And it's very analytic an analytical approach, but... I think it shows in the reviews that you're getting in your classes. And at the end of the day, that's really what is along with the revenue that you're getting, but especially the reviews is how people see your classes and how, uh, how well your classes are actually doing. And your classes are just obviously getting such great reviews. So hopefully people can use some of that advice. And I think I agree with you know there's one aspect of me that says like people should just do it just get going but having the I think having a a more realistic expectation is also so important and that kind of makes you think about okay well should I just do this action right now or should I think about it a little bit more and should I uh, validate or just yeah do it for the right reasons so anyways I love that so thank you so much so People can find you at xlmaven.com. I'll include that in the show notes along with your Udemy profile and YouTube channel. Is there anywhere else you want people to find you at? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn too. I would say Excel Maven, LinkedIn, or Udemy are probably the best channels to reach me. 
Perfect. Cool. Well, Chris, it's been an awesome pleasure chatting with you today. And I look forward to seeing where your website goes, where you go in the future, and um, maybe meeting up and watching a ball game in the future. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to fast track your success, head over to onlinecoursemasters.com and sign up for your free trial of my flagship program, the Online Course Masters Masterclass. Yep, that's right. It's a masterclass designed to take you from zero to hero, creating and selling your very own online courses. If you haven't done so yet, please leave a review for this show wherever you listen. This is how we can help expand our audience and help teach the world. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week in the next edition of the Online Course Masters Show.